right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We're going to have a uh, really short show today. Not exactly sure what time we're going to be out. I I know that's kind of weird. All right. Well, thanks for listening. See everybody. Have yeah. a great day. Oh, looks like we got to go. No, um, we are going to be airing here on KLWN. So uh, we're on to the substate round of, of things for high school baseball and softball. And the uh, Free State Firebirds, their baseball team, plays today in substate. They're hosting over at Free State High School. It, it's it's different how they do substate and baseball as opposed to like basketball. Obviously, basketball, it's like spaced out. The games are like two days apart. Baseball, they do it all in one day. So. Um, the first sub-state game at Free State's pod, because they're hosting three other teams. There's four teams there. One of them will make it out to the state tournament. The first game is ongoing right now. Once that game ends, about 25 minutes, 30 minutes after that, it'll be Free State's first game, and we'll air that for you on KLWN. So I'd imagine somewhere between 4, 4.30, 4.45, somewhere in that range. I don't know how long the first game is going to go. And then um, if Free State wins that game, then they will play in the second game in what will be the sub-state finals, which and, we will also carry for you here on KLWN. And I want to be clear on this because I'm, I'm asking for my own sake mm-hmm. as much as the listeners. If, now we hope, Lawrence Free State wins, but we're only carrying the championship game if Free State is in it, correct? Correct. Okay. So we will not be carrying the, so the, so I don't, Free State, oh, the other teams. Oh, I, I think one of them is Junction City. I think that Free State's playing Junction City in the semifinal. I can't tell about the other. I don't know what the other game was. But anyway, um, yeah, so Free State, will, we're definitely carrying Free State semifinal, and if Free State wins, we're carrying the championship. Yes. So at some point, we'll be out. Do I know what time it'll exactly be? No. We'll just kind of keep an eye on it. Uh, with that being said, big rule has been passed by the NCAA. The NCAA Division One Council has removed recruiting class size limits for the next two years. Now, will this be a rule that gets passed for now and then they just keep it long-term? I don't know. Remains to be seen because there are a couple uh, big ripple effects that could come from this. But immediate impact, local impact here for Kansas um, is that basically what this means in in basketball, this isn't something you worry about. There's not like a limit in basketball where it's like you can only take four guys a year. So what we go into every year with basketball is we say, okay, you have 13 scholarships to give out. Uh, you have 10 guys coming back next year. That means you have three open. Yep. It, it, it's very simple like that. It's a little more complicated with football because there's so many more guys and it's hard to keep track of who's a scholarship player who is not in football as opposed to basketball. And now you've got new like blue shirts, yeah, gray blue shirts. Yeah, shirts, right? It, it's so much harder to keep track of. But the point is, it, it's essentially like that. You go into every year saying you have 85 scholarships to give out. You can't give out any more than that. Um, but that that's the mark you can get to. So... That's huge news for Kansas because how many years have we heard about Kansas being behind and, and had a deficit with scholarship numbers? I remember 
at, at certain points. I, I think it's a little closer to where it should be now, but I still don't think they're quite there. I remember points during the David Beatty era, there was talk that the scholarship numbers were uh, coming right off Charlie Weiss were in line with those of FCS teams yeah. who already have less. And, and and it's like, for those reasons, I, I know in theory you should say, well, why does it matter? Should there really be a difference between your 64th best player and your 85th? Well, maybe not hypothetically in that they're getting on the field, but if you have an extra 20 scholarships to give out and five of those hit on like That's really good you have players. A, you, have a more cha- you, have a, you have a better shot at getting it wrong. Or developing, they, right? I mean, you have a better... You have more you can get wrong. Exactly. Uh, and then, look, I think there's something to be said. If you are a, a starter, I think there's something to be said about the freshman you're going up against on scout team or the sophomore you're going up on against on scout team is a scholar is good enough to be a scholarship player. Yes, I exactly. think that matters too. So development it matters. Um, I do want to say I I mean I I I criticize the NCAA quite a bit. So in that I feel like I need to um it's only fair to commend them when I think they deserve it. And I think, one, I think this is the right decision. But also, I kind of like the two-year probationary period on mm-hmm. it because I do think I, – I don't think it's fair to tell anybody, all right, you predict every possible unintended consequence of this decision. Right. Um, I don't think that's possible to do. But I think it's safe to say that each decision will have some unintended consequences – so I like the two-year two probationary period because they can sit there and look at it and next spring and then again the following spring and go, okay, is there a reason that things are more out of control than we thought they would be? And then we can, you know, they can go back to, to a different, maybe not go back to the way they do it now, but maybe change it to where once every four years, because that was tossed around for a little bit. Once every four years, you're allowed to go over the limit. Mm-hmm. Um so anyway, I do. I like that that this was that this decision was made. I also like that they're doing it on a, on a two year period, like a test run, um, because I do think that that some issues are going to come up in this that we didn't see, uh, that nobody saw, and then you can kind of take okay, these are the problems. What new decisions can we then make to, or are the problems that it did create not that big of a deal at all? Mm-hmm. So let's just continue moving forward. Yeah, and uh, the reason for two years specifically is because that's when, in theory, all the COVID players should have worked through the system. So it kind of yeah, yeah, it a little yeah, bit. The, the, yep. I uh, players that got that extra year for free, well, not for free, but got it because they played through the COVID year. I do have questions about what this does from a national perspective because of the fact that, and again, like this is a good thing for KU. Um, from the national perspective, if you're like, I, I guess there's always been this trickle-down opportunity where even though the best players are still choosing the best schools in that same collection of, like, six or seven schools, if Alabama can only take 25 guys in a given year, you know, that next best guy that they don't end up taking because they've already used the rest of their scholarships maybe goes to the next tier of school. And, and, and so far, it trickles down, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Alabama could basically just say, Give me the forty best guys. Like we don't care if they want to come here, uh, they come here, right? And um, that, yeah, I wonder about two things to that: the trickle down for that to where are we going to see now even a wider gap between the top teams? But the second part of that is that is that going to even add to the transfer portal? I was, even I, more? I was thinking it's going to make the trans- because transfer now you're going to have crazier. You're going to have even more kids saying, "I do want to go to Alabama or Georgia or whatever school." 
but then that's going to cause even more kids to get beat out and be even further down on the depth chart. Exactly. You're going to get even more kids in the transfer portal, and which gonna, I don't know, that could be good or bad for the competition. They're going to get greedy, and they're going to say, okay, we got 40 this year. We got another 38 this next year. Um, oh, no, now our scholarship numbers are at 94 and we got to get rid of nine kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's gonna. I think it could make the transfer portal even more hellacious. Um, and that, and the trickle down there is that's going to lead to school. You know, then let's say a school it's here below Alabama, Auburn, or LSU. You know, then they're going to have to get rid of some guys because they really like what's out in the transfer portal. Um, so yeah, this is going to be kind of wild to to witness because it. I think that. I think you hit the nail on the head and that the transfer portal is going to be bananas uh, with this new rule because kids, I mean, kids are getting, especially at a place as competitive as Alabama, um, and it happens at, at high-level basketball schools too. The difference is basketball doesn't have, they only have a limit on total number of scholarships, not a limit per year. Um, but a place like Alabama, the you know, kids are getting out-recruited already. I mean, as soon as you... Like, as soon as they sign you, you know, if you're a, a left tackle and you sign with Alabama, they're already looking for left tackles to right. replace you. Yeah. Um, and you need to work your ass off to to stay there. And that's why they become such a machine, because they're constantly either good enough to find somebody to replace you, or it forces you to get to a point where you can't be replaced. You're so good. Um, and so, yeah, this is going to be pretty insane. And look... Alabama's still going to be looking for scholarships. I mean, uh, for transfers, I mean. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's going to be, you know, there 40 I don't think is a number of exaggeration. I think there could be a year where a, a, a program like that adds 40 players. Yeah. I, I am very interested to see how this affects things. But like I said, I do, I do think it helps Kansas in the fact that now you finally can get all the way up there. And, and I wonder how immediately that helps Kansas because right now – you know, I, I'm sure this staff was was sitting there going, we got to kind of wait for this rule to come through because if if we can only sign a limited amount of guys, maybe we only have two, three, four scholarships left to give out this summer yeah. and that, you know, we, we need to be choosy with that. We need to be uh, picky and, and make sure we get the guys we want with those scholarships and we have limited numbers. Now that this is passed, and again, I don't know like what number KU is, is sitting at here because it's, it's just pretty much impossible to figure out unless you're probably in the building. Um, but like maybe now this just allows them to say, great, now we have 12 scholarships. Now we have 15 scholarships. Let's just load up on a bunch of guys. Um, and I also think this opens things up more for, you know, the Charlie Weiss strategy of bringing in JUCO guys didn't work for, for a couple of reasons. One was that a lot of those guys that you brought on from the JUCO levels either just didn't play, they weren't good enough, or they left the program within a year anyway. Um, but I think now, like, the JUCO route becomes more prevalent because it's just like if that happens, you just replace him the next year instead of you losing that scholarship. Like, they're very different. So I do think the transfer portal and the JUCO route are going to be more prominent for KU now than what we saw in past years. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong because it's a changed up landscape. Yeah, you're not recruiting with the same restrictions that you had before. So if if you have a year where, you know, because of JUCO recruiting, because of this, because of that, you lose between graduation, transfers, and guys leaving after, you know, one year, after their junior year instead of their senior year, and all of a sudden you lose 37 guys in one year, you can conceivably replace all of them, and you couldn't before. 
Um, and that matters. I mean, it, it's uh, it's a huge deal uh, only having you know o- only having sixty five players in a in a sport that allows you to have sixty or eighty five at least scholarship level players. I mean, that's that's a huge dis- that's a monumental yeah. disadvantage. Monumental. I mean, there's so many injuries or just having extra guys that could possibly hit or, or progress or whatever it is, and. Um, beyond that, I'm very curious to see what this does from like a, cause this has been very much like, uh, I, I guess talked about on, you know, wherever you look with, with KU message boards or recruiting or whatever, um, the in-state recruiting, what's going on there right now. KU doesn't have any, any commitments for the class of 2023. We had John Kirby on uh, a week or two ago and, and he kind of talked about how, you know, it's, it's of course the, the in-state recruiting is, is a work in progress. KU has been so bad for a decade. All these kids that have grown up watching football in state it's going to be easier to say, oh, K-State's been good. KU has not. So, like, that's that's a, an, an image thing that you're not just going to repair overnight. And I've seen some people talk about, well, you know, there have been times where uh, KU's gone and, and they're talking to all these different staffs and they're traveling and they're going to all these different high schools and maybe they don't know, like, certain D1-level prospects in their area. And I get that. That is, uh, you know, maybe a, uh, unfortunate if that is happening, but also at the same point in time, if you want them to know everything about your school, about these players, about these areas, you don't just know that right off the bat yeah. when you're not from here. So, like, clearly they are trying to do that. You can't – it's it's like it's like if I, I, I was in a class and they gave me the final exam after two weeks into the class and I failed the final exam. You know what I mean? And, like, I was trying. I was, I was yeah, studying. Yeah. I was we're, trying, but I still failed it. And then they're like, all right, we're going to give you the final exam again at the end of the year. Let's see how you do. Let's yeah. do that. You know, let's let's not base it on the final exam that's two weeks into the thing. I, and I, and but I anyway, think- I, I'm curious how this affects that because um, I think from a local recruiting perspective, part of the reason that's been so important is it helps keep your scholarship numbers up. Now that you can just go into the transfer portal every year, I'm not saying it's less important. You still want to have your backbone be on the local recruiting thing, mm-hmm. but – I, I think the, I, I guess I, I just think that the number one maybe priority for recruiting is probably going to be the transfer portal. I Yeah, pro, well, a young transfer portal. Yeah. I, I would say bringing in freshmen that are becoming sophomores. That's software. what they've done so far. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm not sure you should load up, and I know you're not suggesting this, but I don't think it would be a good idea to load up on seniors via the transfer portal. But if you can get a guy who had a hell of a freshman year and you feel like this is a guy we can keep through his sophomore, junior, and senior seasons, that's a good thing. Um, I think the, the other thing with the lo- re- uh, local recruiting is so many, every time, and there's been a lot, when um, KU has had a, a head, head football coach opening, and it was a big deal this past year when a lot of people wanted that guy who was a defensive coordinator and now is the assistant head coach out at Illinois. He played on the Orange Bowl team. Um, I can't remember his name. Um, Michael Brown was that the the guy that everybody wanted to be that or not everybody? Oh, I'm but, sorry, I thought you were talking about passing. Um, no, uh, Kevin Kane. Wait, yeah, they wanted right? him as the head coach at KU. Uh, a lot of people did, and the argument for him was, um, well, he's got a lot of Kansas City connections and local connections, and I get that. But with time, any good coach will figure out how to recruit Kansas City. Yeah, like that takes just a time. Fact. That's the thing. But I, and I think another reason it takes time isn't just the image, which is a big part of it. It's also the fact that you you're gonna. I mean, how many times have have a, has a high school coach, you know, met with whether it be a, an assistant coach or the head coach of KU, 
And they've come in and, and on their recruiting trips to St. Thomas Aquinas, to Lawrence High, to Free State, to Gardner Edgerton, to the Shawnee Mission Schools, to the Blue Valley Schools, et cetera, the Olathe Schools. Um, how many times have they walked in and started to establish relationships with kids who are now freshmen and sophomores or with the head coach of that program? And then in two years, that KU head coach is gone mm-hmm. and therefore that assistant coach is gone. So any any foundations of relationships that have been established are are gone with them. Um, and so, sure, the logo, the Jayhawk logo keeps showing up in your school, um, but the, the faces of who is heading up the program keeps changing. Right. So I think if, if Leipold, you know, lays roots down and has some success and is able to stick around for five years, then kids that, one, see the program getting better, but, two, also realize, okay, these are – this is a program now that is actually going has some stability, and I can take them seriously. Um, that's going to be a huge deal, um, and and yeah, I, I think that the numbers uh, will grow uh, with the with the local ones. But I I think it does allow you to be choosy as well, um, and that's it. It you know if you're in a position of KU where you can actually afford to be picky with the guys you take, that's the that's the dream scenario he's adam dravetta i'm Derek johnson this is rock chalk sports talk on fm 1017 and 1320 klwn we're going to take a time out when we come back the nba draft combine continues on now they're on to the nba portion some measurements are out let's discuss and where things are at for the ku players in the combine that on the other side would you like to get involved in sponsoring rock chalk sports talk or the best of rcst podcast how about getting involved in some ku action or local high school sports you can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Once again, out early today. Tomorrow's show, we're going to be joined by Porter Grieve, uh, who does stuff with rockchalk.io and, and the Jayhawk NFT stuff. And one of our sponsors for for trivia, which, by the way, third place game is on Friday, and they're going to have a, a special moments collection coming out tomorrow. I just uh, booked my first pack for that, so I'm excited to see what comes out tomorrow. I got uh, a but. feeling a certain – I don't know this. I have no insider information. This is pure speculation. Mm-hmm. I have a funny feeling a certain um, shot over the top of Brady Manic might be included. I don't know. Have they released what, what is in each one, or do I get a – Random one? I'm just going through special moments and, and oh, I don't know. Could be anything out in my head. That's what I know. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you've got. I'd be happy with that. Yeah, you've got tons of special moments. So I, yeah, I'm, I just pulled that out because it's a special. It's a recent special moment. Okay, um, so NBA draft combine going on. Measurements are out, and um, I guess I'll just run through the KU guys. Obviously, Remy Martin's not there. Uh, so it's David McCormick was at the uh, G League one. He didn't get the the invite up to the regular one. Just first of all, between David McCormick and Ochak Baji, I don't really have anything to add to like their performances or, or their measurements or anything. But it's so funny. We always talk about this. We joke around about that. You know, every college in the this isn't just like KU thing. It's every college in the country does the thing where it's like that guy's five nine. We'll list him at six foot. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, David McCormick got listed by the KU roster at six ten. So he's five eight. Ochak Baji got listed at six five. Are they about the same height? Ochag Baji's actually six five and three quarters, so he's actually taller. David than David McCormick is six ten and three quarters. 
Wow, so they I, I don't think him. we know anything anymore. So self is because in like those guys in college, you guys if you're soft. six ten and three quarters, they should be seven feet. Right? You're soft. I'm taking three and yeah. three quarters. If off you're six five years. and three quarters, that's six seven in college. You know? Oh yeah. So they they were undersized. What they were that just doesn't happen. It's just it's the self effect, yeah. man. He doesn't want to give his players any credit till they've earned it. No, just kind of funny. By the way, Dave had a seven two wingspan. Good for him. I guess it makes sense why. Like he was actually a, like. He wasn't the most mobile defender, but like positionally, if you just had another center trying to back him down yeah. the post, he was a good defender. Um, that probably makes a lot of sense as to why with the seven two wingspan, weighs two sixty, so like he's you know obviously a big dude. Ochai had a six ten and a quarter wingspan, pretty That's good. Good, yeah. Um, <laughs> only five point four percent body fat. That must be nice. He's in good shape. I am not. I'm. Uh, I mean, I'm. I'm five point four percent ham. <laughs> <laughs> I got 5.4% Cheetos in my yeah. body right now. Um, so those, those guys, just just kind of an interesting note there. Uh, the two that are of most interest, especially because those are the guys who actually have like decisions here, Jalen Wilson and Christian Brown. Yep. Now, as as we've been kind of leading up to this, it, I, mean, I mean, shoot, we talked to uh, Michael Swain last week. He said 90% chance that Christian Brown stays in the draft. I don't know how much this affects things, and Christian's going to be playing in scrimmages, and that's going to have more of an impact, I would imagine, than the measurements. But uh, the measurement's not great for Christian. The negative wingspan sticks out. Yeah, and, and it depends how you calculate negative wingspan. Do you mean height with shoes or without shoes? But you play basketball with shoes on, so it would be a negative wingspan. Um, these are, these are his e- numbers. E- even though it shouldn't be that. I mean, when you look at Ochai, he's what? Four inches, like it shouldn't even be close. Really. Yeah. So, uh, if I just go through here, hand length is eight inches, which there were two guys. Again, I think there's eighty something guys here. There were two guys who measured a sub eight inch hand length. So he's tied for whatever third worst for the end, yeah, amongst hand length. Which I don't know how much that matters, but I'm just going through all the measurements here. Uh, hand width. He measured eight and a half inches. That was hand length, top of the middle finger to the wrist. Then. I would assume, and then hand, hand width, hand is, width thumb is pinky to, pinky. to thumb, uh, like tips. Yeah, there's only one guy who measured with a shorter hand width than Christian Brown. Really? And the guy who measured shorter is a shooting guard, which I, I guess you could argue Christian Brown's a shooting guard as well. Um, I, yeah, these measurables are not looking good. No, so height without shoes for Christian Brown, 6'5 and a half. Height with shoes, 6'7. That is a good measurable for him because he was listed in college, again, going back to that, at 6'7. So you wonder, is he 6'5? Is he 6'6? Six, six? But 6'7 six, legit with shoes. So that is good for a guy who is kind of a, a wing. Um, standing reach, he is listed at eight feet, three and a half inches, which. So the bottom guy is 7, 11 and a half. He's a point guard. Everybody else is at 8, 1 or better. There are only 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 guys who have worse standing reaches than Christian Brown. Out of, out of uh, I guess, comparison here, and like all these are, all of them are point guards. Legitimately, all of them are point guards. Really? Um, uh, Ty Ty Washington, who is like a kind of combo guard point guard, he has the same standing reach as Christian Brown. Yeah, this that again. You're you're right. A lot of this is going to be well. A lot of it already has been determined because scouts have been watching film on these guys. Any any film they can get their hands on, and then more decisions will be made once they're scrimmaging against other guys at the combine. But the initial reaction, 
I'm still putting it, I mean, between 85 to 90% that he stays. Because a lot of the draft, the thing is, you know, you could occasionally find like a, a blog of a mock draft of a KU fan. He's like, well, my mock draft has Christian Brown going undrafted. He should come back. But the more reputable mock drafts, it's not just guys putting their own opinion out there and saying, well, I've watched tape and this is where I think they'd fit in. It's guys talking to scouts and people in the front office who have said, no, you know, no, we really like Christian Brown. We really, you know, we really like his game. We're really eyeing him with our first round pick. So there are, there have been reputable mock drafts putting him toward the end of the first round. Um, I do wonder if, if the scouts are surprised by that and, and they may back off a little bit. But again, if he scrimmages well, I, I think they go they, they the stock goes up again. So I just quickly looked through all of the different prospects. There was only one other player in the draft who uh, has a negative wingspan. And it was a shooting guard who had measured at six five and three quarters. Wingspan was a quarter inch lower. Christian Brown's wingspan six six and a half, so half an inch lower than his uh height with shoes. So he's just one of two players for that. So again, I mean Christian Brown was as good as he is. He was as great of a college basketball player as he is, even without all those things. You could sit there and say, okay, well, who really cares about all that? But the NBA does, and like you said, all that stuff about you know hearing from executives and stuff, if you have a first-round grade on a guy and you don't like his measurements, you're not going to all of a sudden, unless they're like, you know, if Christian Brown would have measured 5'11 today, yeah, that's yeah. a different story. But you're not going to all of a sudden just say, we had Christian Brown ranked 28th on our big board, now he's 70th. Uh, uh, off, you know? yeah. But that is the difference, potentially, between Christian Brown being ranked 28th and being ranked 40th. And if that is more of the discussion, if, if you know, it is dropping you 5, 10, 15 spots and you do become more of a, yeah, maybe he's a middle second round guy yeah. as opposed to a fringe second early does that first, make him change it does mind. make at least a, a more difficult decision. I agree. Um, and, and if you are going to be a team that says, no, we, you know, we're going to keep him as, with a first round grade anyway, uh, you really have to t- trust your scouting eye and trust um, – what you have from, you know, all these, all, at least the good teams have analytic departments um, to break things down from a numerical standpoint. You really have to trust um, the, your, the, the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The things that you look for outside of, you know, the, 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 the variables, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. uh, the factors is the word I'm looking for, that you look for outside of the measurables you better really trust those if you still are going to keep it, if you don't like the measurables but still keep a first-round grade. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to see how that does impact. But if he goes out there and, and balls in the scrimmage, it's it's not going to matter. Uh, the other one, Jalen Wilson, he got an invite to the regular draft combine. He already measured um, in the, and we talked about those um, earlier this week in the uh, G League one, but he went in his second scrimmage, which was the final one for him. He's going to scrimmage more um in now the NBA combine, he went three of five from three yesterday. We, that was a big storyline the day before. He went four of six from three. And he's so, hitting from NBA range, hitting from deep. Um, that's still a small sample over two games. That's just seven for 11. But he had only made multiple threes in back-to-back games twice all season this really? past year. He did it in the the combine with a deeper yeah, uh, against NBA length. Two and, scrimmages in a row. And not only that, the most threes that he ever made in consecutive games this past season was five. He made seven on 11 attempts at high efficiency. So still way too early to tell 
and obviously that would be an overreaction to say he's like a great shooter now, but the more he piles up at these scrimmages after he's had some time to kind of work on on that part of his game, it does make you think that the draft stock does become more real. But also on the flip side, if he does come back to Kansas, I think it also makes you feel a little bit better about like, yeah, I, you know, if he comes back to Kansas, he's expected to be your leading scorer and you feel like that's a legit thing with that's, him being able to shoot. That's the thing is all of a sudden, if he does come back, you're, you're, I mean, you know, I'd be excited with him coming back, period. But you're absolutely right. Like, you know, if, if you, if he's shown an ability that, that, you know, to shoot already and then if he ultimately chooses to return and then he spends the summer working to further develop a shot that it seems at least it seems from at least one standpoint he already has um then yeah you're you're even more excited about what this kid can become um Kevin Flaherty made a good point that you know I think it was Flaherty you asked or maybe it was Tate but you asked one you know you would expect probably if he returns he's in line to be one of the contenders for big preseason Big 12 player of the year Keeping in mind, of course, we don't know what the transfer market's going to put out. Um, Tyrese Hunter, I know he is he one of those guys with like six or ten finalists. Doesn't he have a long list of finalists? Tyrese Hunter has six, yeah. So if one of those, I I don't know the the I know one of them's Kentucky and one's Kansas. I don't know the other four, and and if one of them's a Big Twelve uh, school, he may you know if he chooses a different Big Twelve school than Iowa State or Kansas, then he may turn out to be the preseason Big Twelve Player of the Year. Um, but that's the thing from a Kansas standpoint is, um, you know, ultimately you want the kid to just achieve whatever he wants to achieve. He's already won a national title here. Awesome. Good for him. Go do what you want to do. But, um, if he does choose to come back to KU, you're seeing something that you didn't even see in the season. Mm -hmm. Um, and if he gets to spend the summer further developing that, then he could turn into something pretty special. Yeah. So we'll wait and see on, on uh, how the rest of this NBA combine stuff goes, but just some uh, kind of interesting measurements there. All right, we're going to take a timeout. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear. Plus, they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Again, we're going to be out a little early today for Free State Baseball in the Substate Semifinals. And if they win, it'll be a doubleheader and they'll play in the Substate Finals. So we'll be out here in probably about 30, 45 minutes. I don't know, somewhere in that range. Uh, with Adam Rivetta, Derek Johnson here on RCST. And it is that time here on a Wednesday. We get to. Around the world with Adam. I like how excited you get. That does make me happy. I'm flattered. I, hope I didn't burst anyone's eardrums. It's very though. possible. Um, the uh, all right. We're gonna start off in uh, Berlin, Germany, a place you will become very, very familiar with. I will not uh, be going to Berlin. You're not going, be going to Berlin. To no. Oh, 
I got to eat a very fancy breakfast at the Capitol in Berlin, at like a, a fancy built, like a fancy Capitol building. Was it? Um, when did I did, they have to, a when, menu item called "Tear Down That Waffle"? No, no. I had a delicious shrimp omelet, though. Um, it was not a cheap place to eat. Um, yeah, it was a fun. I, I had a friend who was an exchange student, and she was from a town in Western Germany called Bremen. And I decided to go back with her for a bit of the summer after I graduated high school. And one of the trips included a trip to Berlin. It was mm. a good time. However, what we did not do was what these students at a high school in um, uh, Schleiden. The story's out of Berlin. It's the Associated Press, by the way. But the town is Schleiden. Okay. Uh, on Wednesday, they buried a classmate of theirs. Is he dead? Yeah. Okay. A classroom skeleton. Very had, sad start to the second. Classroom skeleton that had served as an oh, okay. educational specimen for generations of pupils. Around 80 students, teachers, and town officials took part in the ceremony at uh, the at their uh, at the Schleiden Protestant Cemetery, where the bones of the unknown woman were buried in a small coffin featuring symbols of all major world religions. We are indeed laying to rest a member of the school community to their grave, said Pastor Oliver. I, I don't know if this would be Joswig. Joswig? It's spelled J-O-S-W-I-G. So Joswig? Anyway, Oliver. The skeleton dubbed, I can't pronounce that that name, um, but is, uh, it was uh, the skeleton was given a Vietnamese name, uh, Vietnamese for Mysterious Peace, had been the school's, uh, in the, bi- uh, the school's biology department since 1952. Students had for years pushed for the woman's remains to be buried, but plans to do so were delayed by the pandemic, German news agency DPA reported. The school hopes eventually to learn more about the origins of the skeleton once the results of DNA samples taken from the bones are returned. Biology lessons are now conducted using a plastic model, so they used a real human skeleton for the longest time. They've now uh, moved on, and, and now they use a plastic model. Because uh, they wanted to make sure that this um, this uh, person who apparently, I, I hope, voluntarily donated their body to science. Uh, but regardless, their body was used for science. And now um, they get a nice peaceful burial uh, in Western Germany. How about that? Mm, I, I I just don't understand, like, why now? Why bury him now? Um, I'm guessing I'm guessing that the, the decision was made to I, I don't know the details I would guess the decision was made to, to go on to a plastic skeleton model and because of it they just feel it, it was probably right to offer this person since they're no longer being used for the purpose of science any longer they felt it was it was just the right thing to do to uh, give them a proper burial since they've they've uh, they've you know officially retired from teaching biology hmm that's you know teachers are having a hard time getting paid where they still got to teach biology when they're skeletons. Yeah, I just like I I don't understand. Like I, I guess that thing's been there for years. It's probably kind of gross. It's a skeleton. Well, it's a skeleton. I think I think measures are taken to make sure it's not. I would hope so. But no, I think they just felt it was a respectful thing to do. You know, it's it's um, it's not a it's one of those things where it's not a a huge deal, but it's just I think I think they felt a nice respectful thing to do they didn't know this person but they felt okay we we view a lot of people view burial after death as as a as an important ritual an important ceremony and they thought okay this skeleton was once a human um or at least belongs to a human 
So let's give them the proper burial that we feel our, uh, you know, any other member of our community or, or school would get. Uh, 1952, the skeleton started teaching. How about that? Mm, good for it. All right, we're going to move along to Florida. A 19-year-old South Florida woman who fled from law enforcement in the Florida Keys on Thursday. Um, why? Why did she? Uh, she was charged with fleeing and eluding. Why did she run from the cops? Uh, it's Florida, so it's going to be something really weird. Um, she did a lot of drugs while trying to kill an alligator. You would hope, but no. Uh, she told the deputy who caught up to her that getting arrested was simply on her bucket list. So I don't think she's dying, but she decided to already start after that bucket list in spite of the fact that she's 19 and on there included, getting booked. But what did she do to get arrested? I, I, I assume they popped her for speeding or something like that, okay. but she ran from the cops. Okay. She, she, she kept... Instead of pulling over, she ran from the cops. I was just going to say, they just like started trying to pull her. Like, I don't, I don't, okay. Yeah, I assume yeah. they started. Um, deputy spotted the woman's vehicle. Dri- oh, she was driving recklessly uh, before 8 a.m. Thursday. He turned on his lights and siren. Uh, so they were they were pulling her over initially for reckless driving. She refused to pull over. She kept took him on a little chase. and uh, But the whole point was because uh, before she was taken to jail, the woman said getting arrested have been on her bucket list since high school. And now it's nice to see, you know, my friend um, from high school recently uh, became, he got a, a head coaching job at Spring Hill High School. I'm very proud of him. He'd been a head coach at a couple different places, and now he's jumped up to the 5A ranks uh, as the boys basketball coach over at Spring Hill. I'm very happy for him, very proud of him. It's nice seeing your friends from high school achieve their dreams, isn't it? Yeah, I hope these. I hope her high school classmates are happy for her. I hope they saw Facebook, saw her mugshot, and went, you know, this lady's been. She's been talking about getting arrested. She was, yeah. since I've known her. We, we voted were, her most likely we were, to be arrested yeah, in the we yearbook. Freshmen, she did it since we were freshmen in high school. She's talked about her dream of getting booked, and you know what? She went out there and did it. Good for her. It's it's, it's really. I bet some guys are gonna. Some people are gonna be inspired. How'd yeah, you how'd you proof. get inspired to to go after your PhD? Well, I didn't think I could do it at first, but this woman I knew who's wanted to get arrested since she was 14 years old did it when she was 19, and I thought, you know what? If she can go after her dream, damn it, I can go after mine. Yeah, set your goals, go get them. Good for her for doing that. Um, I'm proud I wonder of if her. she regrets it at all. If she's like, why? Why do I? Like, there's so many fun things to do that you could have on your bucket list, or like places to see, or thing. I don't know. Yeah, for me, it's mostly experiences. Yeah, it's, it's going going places, different countries. I just I, I don't get the jail one. But I, what I'm also curious about, if you're the cop and she's like, "Thank you for arresting me," and he's like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> And she's I, like, "This is on my bucket list." Would, I you, would, would you let her go? Would you? I know what I would guess happens. What happens in court? Well, I would guess and she's like, "I don't care." The judge would probably. I don't know that you'd waste the money to put put her in jail because that that costs tax money. I would guess you would. If I don't know this, if I'm the judge, I figure out what is the maximum fine here and I give it to her so she understands this isn't a lighthearted deal well and if i'm her because again i don't i don't know what the reason is here like does she have a death sentence is like what's going on why is she using her, her bucket list right now when she's 19 that's why I, I hope she's just i hope the bucket list just is she's just using it as a term like instead of saying the term like the word life goal she's just saying bucket list like if somebody says they're 19 and there's oh it's on my bucket list to go skydiving you hope that they're not actually 
facing the end of their life. We, They're just using it as a phrase. But I guess that's what I mean here is that like I don't I don't want her to die. Yeah, that's but, what like, I'm, saying. I'm saying. I I hope that she's just using that as a phrase and not that she's actually approaching the end. Yeah, I, I do agree with you there, but like what I'm saying is that if she is like I guess if you're not dying, why are you doing this now? Why, when you're 19, when you have all these years ahead of you, are you trying to get arrested? Like, you know, get your goals out early, man. But that's the other thing. If you're like 80 years old and you're like, um, what you if know, her bucket list is a hundred things long and she just needs to knock do those out like first? Well, maybe this was the easiest you'd be, one. You'd have all an she easier had your job. All getting, she had to do was for this was not pull over. You'd have an easier job getting out of being arrested or, or whatever if you were just like an old person. And at that maybe point, that's like, why. Maybe she knew if I get pulled over. It, when I'm 85, they're not going to arrest me. I need to do it now when I'm a little, still a teenage hooligan, they think. I don't like this. Now this is on your, your permanent record from now on. If if you actually, you know. Is there such thing as a permanent record? We well, were all we were all terrified of our permanent like record thing. when we were um, kids. I mean, there is a there is a record on you that cops see. Like when they pull yeah. you over, it shows that like, oh, this person has been, you know, and now your insurance money is going to go up for the rest of your life. Like, oh, she's not an smart. Not she's smart. an idiot, but I'm proud of her. All right, we're going to move on. Uh, you get along with your in-laws, right? Yeah. And uh, your wife gets along with your parents, right? Yeah. Here's a story of uh, people not getting along with their kids and, and, and daughter-in-law. A retired Indian couple. Uh, uh, this is a story out of New Delhi, by the way, the Associated Press, New Delhi, India. A retired couple is suing their son and daughter-in-law uh, for 50 million rupees. That is the equivalent of 675,000 American dollars. Or what is the other? Why are they suing them? And what is their other option instead of paying them? I have no idea. And their other option instead of paying them is going into indentured servitude. They have. Uh, they're suing them because they have not yet yet produced a grandchild, and they must produce. They either sue them for uh, fifty million rupees. Or produce a grandchild within a year. By the way, rupees sounds like a made-up like Star Wars money. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, San, uh, well, I, I don't want to offend anybody and, and, and horribly mispronounce the name, but the uh, the the father, the the grand or the the wannabe grandfather, I guess, a 61 year old retired government officer said it was an emotional and sensitive issue for he and his wife, and they cannot wait any longer. His son is a pilot and has been married for six years, six years, Derek, and they have not produced an heir. We want a grandson or a granddaughter within a year or compensation because I have spent my life's earnings on my son's education. He said he spent 3.5 million rupees or $47,300 for his son's pilot training in the United States. That wasn't as much money as I thought. He said three point whatever, you know, 47. Yeah, yen yen is another uh, currency that that translates to not as much American dollars. I'll give you a million yen. yen. It's like you gave me $100. I don't Um, know if that's right. It's not quite that, but it is. But anyway, yeah. Uh, the main issue is that this age, at, at this age, we need a grandchild, but these people have an attitude that they don't think about us. We got him married in the hope that we would have the pleasure of becoming grandparents. It has been six years since their marriage. It feels as if despite having everything, we have nothing. The court accepted their petition and scheduled it for a hearing on Monday. A city uh, in uh, the northern area of their state, media report said, the son and daughter-in-law could not be reached for comment. Uh, he said he and the the want to be the want to be grandfather said he and his wife love children. We are not getting love and affection from where we want it the most. 
he said, I feel very unlucky. So what he wants is for his uh, son and granddaughter to get lucky and produce a grandchild. Uh, do you feel that sort of pressure from your parents and uh, in-laws? <laughs> no, I do not. We already have a uh, stated plan that we've told them. And, uh, you know, it's it's just that. I, I don't They're think actually so. adopting me as their stated no, plan. Um, I my, haven't agreed to that, but they insist upon it. My... Uh, so my sister-in-law, they already have two kids. So that, um, you know, but I'm sure my parents are, are chomping at the bit right now. My sister got to work early, man. She she and her husband uh, were pregnant with twins before the, I mean, I mean, just over a year. And uh, they now they've got four kids. So uh, my parents are not hurting for grandkids at all. Although my mom, the, the oldest one now is coming up or the youngest one now is coming up on three. So mom Drovetta is wanting some uh, some baby back in her life. Mm. So, and you have all sisters, right? I have three. I have two older sisters and one baby. So sister, it is yeah. it is on you to carry on the Drovetta name. I mean, the girls can get pregnant. One of them did four times. Well, three. Well, no, times. I one mean like twins. I don't know. Did your oh yeah, no, you're take right. Your no, last... I I am the end of my line. Yeah. Uh, my dad had a brother who did not reproduce. Um. So I'm the yes. You're right. I am mm. the end of my line. The the the, the our family lineage. It's a lot of pressure. If we were in medieval times, you would you would inherit the castle. Well, it's a, it's a hell of I mean, a castle, let me tell you. <laughs> You've seen it. Yeah, great basement. Um, all right, we're going to move on to a young man who is my personal hero. This is from Texas and the UPI. A Texas mother learned a lesson about leaving her phone unlocked when her two-year-old son used DoorDash to order what? Oh, gosh. Um... I mean, if it's DoorDash, I think they only do food. They do on the right convenience track. stores, too. Um, did he just order, like, 50 pizzas or something? 31 cheeseburgers from <laughs> McDonald's. Okay, actually, she got off Scott. She got yes, off pretty yeah. easy then. She <laughs> got off pretty easy. You were, like, $1,000 worth of Chipotle or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kelsey Golden of Ricardo, Texas, said she was working on her computer when her two-year-old son, Barrett, got a hold of her unlocked phone and managed to use the DoorDash app to order McDonald's delivery story continues golden said she was unaware of her son's actions until a delivery driver arrived at her door with 31 cheeseburgers i didn't know what to do with them a random number this is the best thing he only ate half of one um (laughs) so i posted on a community page on facebook here in kingsville and asked if anybody wanted some mcdonald's golden's facebook post sparked Mm. a local interest and some neighbors dropped by for free cheeseburgers Golden said the cheeseburger cost uh, the cheeseburgers cost her sixty one dollars and fifty eight yeah, cents. She did. Um, it's unfortunate. Wait, but that's wait, not wait, the wait, worst wait. Thing. This makes no sense. This this has to be a typo. The cheeseburgers cost her sixty one fifty eight, and Barrett included a sixteen dollar tip, bringing her total to ninety one seventy. There must delivery be a fees. delivery charge they're yeah. not adding in there. Honestly, that was probably ninety of the ninety-one dollars. The delivery fee. Yeah. That stuff is so expensive. So thirty-one cheeseburgers, man. Uh, I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm really. I'm excited for that kid's future. Yeah. Again, she got lucky that it was just McDonald's cheeseburgers. Um, did you ever order anything like uh, when you were a kid? Like when you weren't supposed. I I did once. I I. My sister I was maybe like six or seven, and I ordered some toys. And I don't know how they couldn't have been like my. It could have been like more than we like fifteen bucks. We didn't really. I remember I got yelled at though. We didn't have the internet till I was in eighth grade. Um, the only thing like that that ever happened was my baby sister when she was probably four. Uh, we got a knock on the door, and my parents answered it, and there was a, like three cops standing outside. 
apparently there had been a, a not a prank, but a, an unanswered 911 call. Oh, no. And my sister, she didn't know about 911. She was just playing around with the phone and happened to hit those three digits. Yeah, I... Um I yeah, do not remember that. But it's just it's so easy now for kids to do that. It's gonna be so especially with video games, you can just buy like add-ons and stuff to that. That's tough. I remember Kendrick Perkins, weirdly enough, like his kid, it, he came back and he bought like a thousand dollars worth of like VC <laughs> for NBA two K or something like that. And he got they threw like the PlayStation in the pool or something. They're kinda mad, as you'd imagine. All right, this is Rock Truck Sports Talk. We're gonna take a timeout. Uh here on KLWN. Depend on it.